0: the heart of
1: Wellington, Kansas, Powder & String Outfitters is your down-home, one-stop shop for all things shooting sports and outdoors. Welcome to the Powder & String Podcast. Welcome back to the Powder & String Outfitters Podcast. I really appreciate all of you guys tuning in. Today, I'm super, super excited to uh, introduce my guest. It is a uh, six time champion, Randy Couture. So, Randy, thank you so much for joining us today and being on here. And uh, who knows where this thing's going to go, but I don't <laughs> think that it takes a lot of uh, of introduction. But maybe, Randy, if you want to tell, tell maybe a little bit about yourself for somebody that's out there that may not know um, you and what you've been doing in the last couple of years and, and, uh, that way we can get started
0: with getting down to the business. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, grew up in the Pacific Northwest, graduated from high school in 1981. Um, uh, went to the United States army, spent six years in the army from 82 to 88. Wasn't we'll a a lot going on back then, but, uh, you know, I had a family, a new blossoming family at the time I needed to support. So the army allowed me to do that. And that put me back on a wrestling mat. I thought, I thought wrestling was done for me after high school. And, uh, Little did I know, you know, at the peak of the Cold War in the 80s, there were five million soldiers stationed in Central Europe. They had huge sports programs and certainly wrestling and boxing were the two biggest because of their combative implications. Um, ended up qualifying for the 88 Olympic team uh, as a soldier. All these college coaches were like, where did this kid come from? Who is that? Yeah. And I, got, I got no love as a one time state champ out of high school in Seattle. So I grew up in Linwood. And uh, yeah. So then the phone started ringing, um, and I had to make a decision. Was I going to stay in the Army and keep supporting the family? By that time, I had, we had two children, and I chose to, with the encouragement of my coach, to get out and go to Oklahoma State. I wrestled at Oklahoma State for four years and was an All-American there and part of the national championship program. and I think uh, you know, that ultimately led me to Oregon State, where I coached for about seven years as the assistant wrestling coach. Until uh, fighting found me. And then I started fighting in 97. Um, I quit my coaching job and pursued fighting full time for about 14 years. I retired in 2011 from mixed martial arts. Most of my career was spent fighting in the UFC. Um, I found uh, (laughs) acting during that time. You know, they called the UFC, said, hey, we want some authentic cage fighters for this movie we're doing called Cradle to the Grave. And, uh, so that was my very first time on a, on a movie, you know, motion picture set and seeing the, the smoke and mirrors, the, the magic that that happens, uh, in, in the process of making a film and was immediately intrigued and managed to go out and get an agent eventually, which is a weird kind of a catch 22, you know, that you got to have a resume to get an agent. You got to get, have an agent to get jobs. It it doesn't really make sense, but, uh. It's one of those things I've, I fell into through, through athletics. So that leads us to today. You know, I retired from fighting in 2011. I've been pursuing acting and the other businesses that grew out of uh, that niche of, of fighting the gyms and the clothing line and some of the yeah. other stuff that, that came across my way um, at that time. So, supposedly retired, <laughs> yeah. retired from fighting. I'm busier than I've ever been in my life and, and chasing the acting jobs, commentating for the Professional Fighters League. Uh, doing all my charity stuff, we we are the Nevada chapter for MVP, merging vets and players out of out of Extreme Couture, and I founded my own foundation back in 07, 08 called the Extreme Couture GI Foundation to take some of the financial pressure off these guys that have been wounded in combat since nine eleven. So,
1: yeah.
0: uh, those are the two big foundations that I'm I'm involved with, and all that keeps me hopping, keeps me pretty busy. I,
1: I can imagine you're an extremely busy person. I, uh, first of all, I want to tell you, thank you. Um, not obviously for being on here, but also for your, for your service. Thank you for being, you know, in the military and, you know, freedom isn't free. Um, we're a huge supporter here at powder and string of veterans and man, uh, that's, that's a huge, uh, huge, um, deal that you're, you're, you got going on there with, with supporting veterans. It's, I really, it's something that's near and dear to my heart and we do a lot of stuff here for veterans and, and also first responders. And so, man, that's, wow. that's just awesome. I appreciate
0: so, that. And I think the more of us that link arms, uh, the less of them fall through the cracks and they get the support and the appreciation that they deserve for, for everything that they do. So that's certainly part and, of my, uh, part of my journey, you know, wearing that uniform for six years, taking that oath at 19 years old, that's something that doesn't go away. And, uh, that's yeah. just how it is. So trying to do I my part. Imagine. That. Yeah. I can
1: only imagine. And, um, whatever you, uh, whenever you're doing stuff in the future, uh, just go ahead and consider powder and strings. We'll, we're in, we'll, we'll do what we can to help and be a part of it. We'd love well, to, to chip in absolutely without question. That's not even, not even hard to think about. So we'll do we it. We got for sure, our,
0: but... uh, 15th annual motorcycle poker run coming up here on May 20th in Las Vegas. I
1: started Excellent. this
0: thing back in 08. This is our 15th year doing the ride. Last year's ride in, in May was the biggest we've ever had at 537 bikes, Wow. It was huge. Uh, Chris Angel's always a big supporter of the foundation. He's if he can't he, if he can't make the ride, he'll send us a check. Uh, I think this year he's actually going to make the ride on the twentieth. He's dark that day with the the Mind Freak show. So uh, looking forward to riding with Chris. Uh, I know horny Mike from County Cars always comes out. He's a, a Vegas staple and. Uh, we haven't got the rest of the guys from the from the crew there counting cars out yet, but uh, we try every year to get them out. So yeah, uh, it's it's always a fun time. It's a great time of year as far as the weather. It's not too hot yet in Vegas, and there's right. some pretty cool uh, destination bike spots around Vegas. So it should be fun.
1: absolutely yeah. It's a it's a fun town, and and there's always something to do there for sure for sure. So you talked a little bit about your wrestling, and that's one of the things that you know I I obviously would have to say that. I was a huge, am a huge, uh, fan of yours when, you know, when you were in the octagon. Um, wow. I mean, you were just, you were amazing. And, uh, you know, you, you were there when they were, you know, for the most part, just getting started. And I think you're, my personal opinion is you're responsible for a a large, a large responsibility for where the the popularity of UFC today. Um, I mean, some of your fights back then were just, uh, unbelievable, but what, one of the things I wanted to talk about and you kind of hit on it is Oklahoma state. So you, you kind of went about wrestling and getting into the college wrestling a little bit different as you kind of hit on. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I feel like I did everything backwards and it somehow it's <laughs> to work out. Yeah. Uh, I was a one-time state champ up in Washington and Seattle. You know, I went to Linwood high school, 1981. I won a state championship. Uh, I was the first state champion in any sport at my high school uh, we were a That's pretty awesome. new high school, but, uh, I got no, no real love from any of the college coaches at that time. I'd never been to junior nationals or won any of the junior national program championships or any of that stuff. So I didn't get a lot of attention from the college coaches. Uh, I walked on at Washington state for a semester before I got my girlfriend pregnant and had to make some yeah. critical decisions. Um, And that that's ultimately led me to the Army and and uh, trying to support a family. And uh, thankfully, when I signed that contract with the Army, my matriculation stopped and and I ended up having four years of eligibility. So down the road, that became important when I qualified for the 88 Olympic team as a soldier. And all these college coaches were looking around like, where did that guy come from? Um, So that's again, that's when the phone started ringing. It's a, a funny story, but you know, I, I got calls from Clemson, uh, Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, Bakersfield. Of course, one of my teammates from the army ended up going to Bakersfield, Steve Lawson. So it was it was tempted to go there and, and you know stay stay close to Steve. we would become really good friends through a few years of wrestling together in the army. Um, Oklahoma State also called. Uh, Coach yeah. Chesbro called me. Collect. <laughs> I still tease those guys <laughs> to this day. Because he called me collect from a wrestling camp somewhere in Idaho, I think. And I, of course, accepted the charges. I knew who Coach che- Tommy Chesbro was. He was an icon right. in our sport. So uh, I got a collect call from Tommy uh, trying to recruit me and come out there on a, on a visit that July. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty funny story. But, so uh, was
1: was he like at a – he was at a payphone and didn't – I mean, not, we're obviously talking way before cell phones. So. Yeah, there
0: were no cell phones back then. So he, he was probably on a payphone or – you know, maybe on an on an office phone somewhere. To, at a, I think he was teaching a camp up at North Idaho College, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so he probably on a North Idaho College wrestling wrestling phone or something but call me yeah. collect
1: <laughs> so that's funny that you say that because you know you, you, my my wheels have to start spinning and thinking back you know for probably for a lot of our listeners they're not gonna even i mean i, I couldn't even tell you the last time i got a collect call i don't even know if that's a if you yeah. can even do one now i don't even know if you could make a collect call now yeah but, but that's a you know that's a that's a pretty funny story to hear you know you talking you know randy couture gets a collect call to go wrestle at oklahoma state it's just you know hindsight you're just like what the that's a great story for sure yeah yeah, pretty yeah. funny so yeah you're just so we're just um you know powder and strings we're here in wellington kansas and so we're just right down the road from stillwater we're, we're just south of wichita halfway between sure. the sure. Uh, oklahoma line and there so i'm actually a k-stater all my family went to k-state and everything but if i did have a second i, I bleed purple hard you know tried and true but um, if I had a second team who I root for, um, uh, it's definitely the Cowboys and we have some guys down there, um, on the football staff, uh, Joe Bob Clements, he's a K-Stater. He played at K-State. And so he's the, uh, I think he's the defensive coordinator or, or he was, uh, he moves around, oh. but he's been there for a long time. But, uh, Joe Bob, he's down there. Great coach. Um, and we went, he was at K-State, played football at K-State when I was at K-State. So, okay, uh, lo- love, love Stillwater, um, and you know, I follow I, I grew up wrestling, um was uh, you know, average at best, if you will. Um looking back, I wish I would have put more effort into it. I was more interested in hunting. And so I'd uh wrestling season just so happened to land during, you know, a lot of hunting seasons and yeah, so, it does. Um I've I've told this story once before on the podcast, but I'll share it with you. So um we our high school was a pretty good pretty good wrestling team. We had won state a couple years before twice in the previous five or six years we'd won state and and, uh, as a sophomore, it was just a sophomore, junior, senior at that time on the wrestling team. And so, um, I was a sophomore and I had made varsity and, um, we got out of school early and it was right during deer rut. And I was like, wait a minute here, I can go sit in a tree stand or I can go, go wrestling. I went and sat in a tree stand. Well, to this day, um, one of the, the, the fondest memories I have of of my you know, high school wrestling was uh, obviously that didn't work out. And Coach Decker, uh, Russ Decker, um, I got in all kinds of trouble, got home. My parents, I got in all kinds of trouble. My bow got taken away from me, and my punishment was that I had to go – sit at the varsity wrestle matches and sit on the bench. And then I had to go wrestle on the weekends for junior varsity where I shouldn't have been. So that way I wouldn't have t- that. That way I couldn't go hunting. So I lost all my hunting time. Oh my um, God. But you know, you look back at it and you're like, well, I mean, it is what it is, but that's right funny. On. Yeah. I wish I would have put more effort into it, but. Um, well, I'm
0: a good friends with Mike shower. He coached at Mays, okay. Mays high school. Yeah he used I know to bring a bunch of us from Oklahoma state and a bunch of the guys yeah. from the army team up to coach the Kansas junior team in yeah. the summers. We do camps and, and done, done clinics for Mike up in, up in Kansas, helping the Kansas team get ready for the junior nationals and stuff. And it was always yeah. a blast. Mike was a great guy and, and still good friends with Mike to this day and, uh, still talk to him every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, so it was you're prob- always a fun, fun time for us to come up to, to Wichita and, and run camps up there.
1: Yeah, so you're probably the same age, but because you went uh, the backwards wave or whatever you want to call it, yeah. in, going wrestling. Yeah. Um, another really good friend of mine, he wrestled, I've got two of them that wrestled at Oklahoma, um, but they're, they're about your same age. One's Mark Tatum. Um, he was a heavyweight wrestler at uh, OU, and then the other one is Kenny, Kenny Fisher. And Kenny okay. Fisher, he was a lightweight, um, but they're about your age, and and I, I think so. They, they were probably
0: wrestling when I was in the army, right? And right. and then I came. Obviously, I was a twenty five year old freshman at Oklahoma State. Yeah. So how was, how I, was that? Who like, the hell's this 20, old guy? <laughs> yeah. So how was that? Like I, I, I loved it. I mean, it was a great place to wrestle. I knew I'd made the right choice. You know, Bakersfield and Clemson were both great programs, but uh, man, I drove from. You know, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, in the Stillwater. And, I mean, no sooner did I pull in that I realized I was in the right place. Uh, yeah. It was just a, a great place to wrestle and, and a great place to be. And I got, you know, I finished my degree in in uh, foreign language and literature there in, in the College of Arts and Science and was an All-American, you know, three times uh, for Oklahoma State and an academic All-American all four years I was there. A little, a little more focused when you're older. Yeah, that is true. Dumb mistakes you make when you're a young, eighteen or nineteen year old kid rolling into a college campus. So uh, yeah,
1: and you're not. There's not as many distractions either. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Hey, I had a wife and two kids. I was pretty focused. I knew exactly what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. So, yeah, um, it worked out.
1: That's that's crazy. It's it's how that went. So when I another thing that I've heard, and I want if this is true, tell me. But you signed up in the in the army or uh, whatever military you were in, you were in the Army, correct? Army, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you signed up in the Army for freestyle wrestling, but it ended up being that you signed up for the wrong Greco or <laughs> Yeah, they or what? put
0: me on the Greco bracket. Uh, I never wrestled Greco ever in my life. And uh, I, I went to a, a championship tournament in, in Baumholder, West Germany, uh, signed up for the freestyle. Somehow they put me on the Greco bracket too, so I just finished a freestyle match, and they start calling my name. Oh, or, so you were or on another both. match. Yeah. So I'm like, I, j- I just walked off the mat. What do you mean? Well, you're on the Greco bracket. Are you gonna wrestle or not? And I literally <laughs> had to make a decision right then. And so I said, Okay, what the hell? So I, I went out on the Greco mat. I ended up Did you wrestle Greco before? I'd never wrestled Greco before in my life. And uh <laughs> I ended up winning that tournament and and it was fun. I had a blast. So I kept wrestling the Greco and <laughs> That's actually what led me ultimately to meeting Coach Floyd Winter, who was the all-army wrestling coach. He was over there doing uh, seminars on rules and, and what Greco and freestyle were. And he had a, one of our big officials and a FILA except, exceptional official, Vince Warro, who was kind of his cohort over there doing these seminars and stuff for all the army guys. And uh, I ended up meeting Coach Winter, and he eventually – After I won a U.S. Army Europe championship over there in both freestyle and Greco, he gave me a shot at trying out for the all army team, which ultimately led me to the Olympic trials in, in 88.
1: That's, that's a, that's a crazy and amazing story to hear all that, all the different things that had to happen in order to get to where, you know, ultimately you had the successes that you had. It's, it's weird. So your time in Stillwater with regards to that, is that a fond memory of your time in your life with? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I, I had a blast there. You know, some of those guys are some of my best friends to this day. Um,
1: did I they call you the old in man in the army? Did they what? Did they call you the old man because <laughs> you
0: were older? I don't think they knew what to think of me there, but I did. I definitely <laughs> got called that. I remember uh, my junior year, you know, we're wrestling up in in state college at Penn State, and I think at that time they were ranked third in the country. We were ranked number one at the time. I think uh-huh. Iowa was ranked second that year, and I'm wrestling this kid named Kraft at 190 up there. And, you know, they had the old school gymnasium where the wooden bleachers came right down to the edge of the mat. And I took this poor kid down on the edge of the mat and somebody in the third row is like, don't let that old man do that to you. Yeah. And everybody started laughing. And I commenced to kicking the crap out of that poor kid. That's,
1: yeah, that, and, and that was a different time, you know, now that the wrestling is, is, it's still very hands on but back then it was a little bit more physical i I think i mean that's my my opinion for sure
0: yeah you know technique comes in cycles for sure, and I see in some of the things that these younger college kids are doing now, and I'm like man i'm my kneecap would have shot across that mat if I tried that yeah but, uh, a little bit different style of wrestling now, uh but still just as slick and 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 it's fun to watch and obviously Penn State's been on a roll, I think they've won nine or 10 out of the, out of the last yeah. 11 NCAA championships. Cale Sanderson is just doing an amazing job with that program. But if you look at the state of Pennsylvania, I mean, at the grassroots level, I think there's 13 colleges that that have wrestling in the state of Pennsylvania. And then all the college programs that feed – or high school programs, rather, that feed those college programs are pretty remarkable too. So, um, yeah, they're they're definitely firing on all cylinders right now.
1: Yeah do you make it back to Stillwater?
0: I got back a couple years ago. They, they inducted me into the, the hall of fame at a big, uh, I got inducted as an outstanding American. Obviously I, I would have rather been in that hall of fame for winning a world championship or an Olympic medal, but, uh, heck you take it, take it however you can get it. I certainly, uh, was honored to be inducted and I've been in the, was back there a couple years before that I got inducted into the, Arts and Science uh Hall of Fame as well. I, I was an all-American and uh I think carried a a four point into my senior year at, at Oklahoma State. Uh again, I think just being a little more motivated and knowing exactly where you need to be and what you need to do as an as an older student. So uh yeah. definitely got the job done.
1: So with regards to I know that um I know you're a hunter. I know you're you know into the shooting world and everything. What's your, uh, where did that come from? Where did you, where did, where did that start for you?
0: You know, I had a bit of a deadbeat dad, honestly. Uh, Ed, Ed wasn't around much. You know, I think I went 10 years there and didn't speak to him at all. But the one thing that we did do is he would come take me out of school for four or five days, sometimes a week and and take me deer hunting. Uh, we did some rabbit hunting on the islands over there. We, you know, and, and I think that was one of the few times that Ed and I got to, Got got to uh, bond, and I think because of that experience, I'm an avid hunter and outdoorsman to this day. Obviously, it was in the Boy Scouts. You know, we did a lot of uh, we built our own our own uh, canoes, and did a lot of hiking and hunting and camping uh, w- with a lot of those guys from the Boy Scout Troop 64 up there and in Seattle area. And something about the Pacific Northwest that being you know in the outdoors, doing all that kind of outdoor stuff is kind of part of life up there. And I don't know, I don't know if it's that way now. It seems like right. things may have changed a little bit <laughs> yeah, in the Seattle like area of late, but uh it was Do you make it back a there? lot more of a do-it-yourself kind of a place, you know, we mowed our own grass, changed our own oil in our cars and and did all that stuff, certainly things I learned as as a as a young kid. And and hunting and being in the outdoors was certainly part of that as well.
1: Do you ever make it back home to that, that area that you grew up in?
0: My mom and my little sister still live up there. My little mm-hmm. sister's on Mercer Island and and, and she's a college professor at, at a Christian university up there. And my mom still lives up there as well. Uh, she drives some Uber and does some Uber Eat stuff to, I, I think more to socialize than make money, but, uh, <laughs> but she's yeah. still, uh, she's still up there for sure. And, and so I get up there every now and then. I'll be up there in, July, I've got a charity ride going on in Seattle. This is our fourth year doing the charity ride up in Seattle. Uh, I'll be back up there to the, the Tulalip Indian Reservation. They're bringing me in as a special guest at some fights at the Indian Reservation up there in, in July as well. So I'll be back up in the area in July.
1: Yeah. So is that – I'm assuming that's the Seattle area?
0: Yeah, north of Seattle. Tulalip is in Marysville, uh, and I grew up in Linwood, uh Linwood, Is that Washington. somewhere is- –
1: is Wood Woodby Island somewhere up in that area?
0: Woodby Island is across the bay from from okay. Edmonds, where I grew up. From okay, so my yeah.
1: wife, my wife uh, was a military brat, and she spent time in Woodby Island. So, Oak like Carver, you said probably, of, yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's where she went. It was Oak Harbor. yeah, right? Ocarbor. That's, that's
0: a, yeah, that's that's one of the islands yeah. across across the bay from us yeah, in Seattle. Okay. Yeah, Ocarbor is a great place.
1: Yeah, yeah, she talked. She that's when whenever she sees you know, kind of what's going on up there. She's like, Oh man, that was such a beautiful area and everything like that. But yeah, yeah my uncle was is.
0: Navy. Uh, he was on the Kitty Hawk. I mm-hmm. remember getting to see the Kitty Hawk. Uh, you know, he was there during on the Kitty Hawk during Nam, and, uh, they came home uh, to Bremerton and I got to see the Kitty Hawk and dry dock. When I was a kid, my, my aunt and my nephews, uh, lived with us while my uncle was deployed. Uh, My dad was Navy as well. Ed was Navy. He was a CB. Um, That was kind of the Bay of Pigs era, you know, after Korea and and before Nam happened.
1: Yeah. So you have a long uh, family lineage of of the military.
0: Yeah. My sister and I chose the Army. Um, Yolanda, my my sister, was in the Army for four years, and I was in the U.S. Army for six years.
1: Yeah. That's – that's – I've got a long family history in the military and I tried to join and then I had knee surgeries and they kicked, I, I I was in the uh, delayed entry program and got the whole sworn in and then that was it. Then they said after the second, after the second knee surgery, they said, we don't, we don't need you anymore. (laughs) So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And you know, at that time I was devastated. I was just like, what in the world? How come, but you know, it is what it is. So, so when you, then you went to the military. Then at that point you go to, you know, wrestle and, and you're down in Stillwater. Did you continue your hunting down there at
0: all? I uh, kind of got back into fishing and hunting after, after the six years in the army, I was stationed in Germany, you know, just didn't have time to get out and, and hunt while I was in the service. So at right. Oklahoma state, you know, we, we would sneak off out, out and, and go bass fishing There were bass ponds everywhere there in Stillwater. So, yeah. Um, I really didn't start hunting again until I got to Oregon state after college. So it was about 10 years there between the army and college that I just didn't have a lot of time to get out and and hunt. Um, Oregon state, a bunch of the kids that I coached at Oregon state were like, Hey, we're going archery hunting in August, you know, before school starts again, you want to go. And I was like, Oh man, I don't even have a bow anymore. So I went out and bought the equipment I needed and, and uh, went on that elk hunt with, you know, chad flack and chad renner and jim coots and uh we just had a blast hiking into the eagle cap wilderness and in eastern oregon and and archery hunting again and man i i didn't pick up a rifle after that experience i just kind of focused on archery mostly uh you know until the last couple of years
1: it's funny that you say that because that's a common thread that we hear all the time and for me I'm more of an archery guy than I am a rifle guy by far, um, to the extent I've, I've only ever harvested one animal, um, one deer, one whitetail with a rifle. Um, yeah, but I, but.
0: I hadn't uh, I hadn't rifle hunted in over 20 years. And then about five or six years ago, I, I got picked up as a brand ambassador for Silencer Co. Okay. And uh, they were doing a fight the noise campaign and trying to get the tax stamp removed from suppressors. And they sponsored me to go to New Mexico and, and hunt with a rifle and a suppressor, which is something right. I'd never done, which was really interesting. And there's a, there's a really good video of that hunt out there uh, yeah. in regard to their Fight the Noise campaign in Silence Co. I shot a, a massive bull outside of Pie Town, New Mexico, with uh, Black Mountain Outfitters. And, and it was a great hunt, uh, a lot of fun. Now they hand me a brand new rifle. 6.5 Creedmoor made by Kimber with a Vortex scope on it. And it even had a rangefinder built into the top of the oh, scope. Yeah. And, uh, and it was suppressed and, you know, walk out there that first evening, get up, get on a, a big bull and, and shot right under him. I turned oh. the scope turret wrong. It was set up for MOA and not yardage. So I thought it yeah. was yardage and I shot right under this bull, but it was so quiet. He just walked off. Like, what was that? He didn't yeah. even run, and uh so I was like, "Okay, well, we got some work to do here." We we bolted and got to the range. I figured out what I did wrong with the scope, and yeah. we went back out that next morning. And now that same bull was still there, but he'd been run off his cows. He was a satellite bull, so yeah. we start cow calling. He was out about a thousand yards, and he came in a dead run from a thousand yards, and he got into about three hundred yards, and and I dropped him.
1: The rest it was, is it was
0: a. a pretty damn good
1: day yeah that's amazing that's awesome so now that you've been introduced to to the silencer and and a suppressor and all that are you for me i was the same way all of a sudden i'm like i'm a silencer snob now so when we go hunting (laughs) i'm like you know if you don't have a silencer then you're shooting last and you got to make sure we know when you're getting ready to shoot (laughs) and we do a lot of predator hunting around here and you know we opened the shop a couple of years ago. And before that, I was, I'd never had a, you know, or never been around one, never seen, I've yeah. seen them, but, you know, didn't, you know, didn't, you know, hadn't used any. So then we get the shop up and go in there and I'm like, well, I I probably ought to have my, you know, license to be able to sell those. So we get one, I get one in, you know, I go out and, you know, we're testing it out and I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is what, why have I been, why have I waited all my life to be <laughs> yeah. to have one of these? And so now we go out predator hunting and, and all of us have them. And there's one of our buddies that goes with us and he doesn't have one. We're like, all right, you need to, you're shooting last and you're over there. And yeah. so what do you, now that you've had one, you're like, I, I got to have that.
0: Yeah. I, I think they're pretty incredible. Um, I, I really only own one. I, I mm-hmm. bought a, a little Gem Tech for, for my yeah. Walter P22. Yeah. Uh, and it'll, it'll, it'll go right on my Ruger 22 rifle as well. And yeah. man, it, I swear you fart louder than that. it's pretty quiet yeah. so yeah. Uh, and, yeah and pretty amazing but yeah that that uh suppressor I used from Silencer cove with that six point five Creedmoor, was that was an amazing thing literally shot right under that bull and he looked around like, what was that? It was just a yeah. disturbance. it didn't bother him at all and yeah. uh it was it was pretty incredible to hunt with that,
1: yeah those and even those little twenty two suppressors that you talk about um I've heard. I've heard rumor of, um, it may or may not be true, but those things with subsonic ammo actually can be, uh, really deadly on, uh, cats and little, uh, possums in town. <laughs> 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 so they, uh, if you have, if I, I don't know of it personally, but I've heard rumor that, you know, you can <laughs> in town, get rid of some nuisance, uh, you know, varmin, if you will. Um, yeah, I guess if
0: we have something like that in Vegas, it would be the pigeons. <laughs> or, yeah. Pigeons everywhere they crap oh. all over everything, so yeah, I suppose yeah, so, the suppressor might work to take out some pigeons.: Hey,
1: it, it may be worth a chance you, you never know
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so when you if you had to pick a hunting, an outdoor you know animal, you like what what is your your go-to? What is the one that you like to elk hunt?
0: is definitely my go-to I, I like to shoot and hunt things that I can eat. Uh, now I know there are probably a lot of people out there that say, well, I eat cougar and I eat coyote and I eat, you know, some of those predators that, that get hunted a lot. But uh, as far as I know, not many people eat those things. Uh, they're more about controlling the, you know, the population of those animals. And I'm more about hunting things that I can eat. So turkey, deer, elk, any of the waterfowl, um, Yeah, I've got to go uh, hunting with Dan Henderson back in January with Fowl Life. The Fowl Life does a great job with deer, with uh, duck and geese. And we had a great time hunting in Oklahoma. I had never seen, honestly, that many birds in one place at one time. Yeah. It was like I was in a duck tornado. It was unbelievable. Um, but me and Danny had a great time hunting with those guys. I'm a very good friends with Jesse Moorhead, you know, world-class archer. used to have a show called Staying Safe with Jesse and Ginger on the Pursuit Channel. And I'd been hunting with them lots of times, uh, mm-hmm. always archery hunting. He's a world world champion archer, and so is his wife, Ginger, both amazing mm-hmm. people. And uh, I hadn't seen them since I retired from fighting. My last fight, they were in Toronto for that last fight in 2011. So, Jesse was on me, come on, man, we miss you. We wanna go hunting, let's go. And we yeah. were supposed to go, uh, I was gonna fly into, up in Huntsville. They live in Huntsville, Alabama. And we were gonna drive over the border in, into Ohio and hunt with this outfitter, but the weather got really warm and rainy and the deer weren't moving, so the outfitter kind of flaked out a little bit. And we ended up just saying the heck with it and, and just hunted in Huntsville. And we both got white-tailed deer there in Huntsville. Uh this was in February, so um that was awesome. It was great to catch up with Jesse and Ginger and and put some meat in the freezer this year. So between the duck and the geese and and the, the deer, I've got some meat in the freezer right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as somebody that I, I, I spent a, a period of time out west in Phoenix and hunted that west area, you know, western states for waterfowl. And, you know, the only thing that I had to go off of was at that, you know, but I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, what was, you know, off of magazines, Ducks Unlimited magazines and, and other waterfowl magazines. And, you know, they always talk about places, you know, top 10 places that you want to go hunt in your lifetime for waterfowl. And it was, uh, it was a, it was an awesome experience. I loved it. It was great. Um, But when you can try to compare that to the Midwest and, you know, this area in particular, you know, you talked about Oklahoma, but the one thing that was definitely um that was interesting was that we went out there and went hunting it was the amount of pintail man there were pintails for days out there yeah but but we you know there was probably a, a, a wad of about 70 60 to 70 maybe 80 of these pintail on the inside of it there was one greenhead and uh, all my buddies that I was hunting with were just you know slobbering over this greenhead and I was <laughs> like you can shoot that greenhead all you want I'm I want to shoot one of them sprig And, you know, we, it was, it was pretty cool to hunt, but out West, the waterfowl hunting is definitely a different, different deal, um, for sure. Do you, do you get to do any hunting out there?
0: I've done some up in, in the Columbia river gorge, uh, both as a kid for, for duck and, and geese, uh, in Eastern Washington. And then, uh, when I was coaching at Oregon state, we all, we went up the gorge and, and hunted, uh, goose mostly up there. That was about as cold as I've ever been, for sure, I mean, you're literally in two feet of snow with a white sheet laying on the ground, you know around your decoys, hoping to call them in and and pop up when they get in close enough to be able to shoot. It was cold as hell, but uh yeah. it was fun it was still fun yeah uh, but yeah i've I've never seen that many duck and geese in one place as we saw in Oklahoma this year. It was incredible, the central flyway was on fire. Um, there, it was, it was amazing.
1: Well, and I don't know, you know, that specific area where you were at, but I can tell you that what the numbers that we had around here, we felt like this was an off year. So if that means anything to you,
0: this was an off year. Wow. <laughs> I,
1: I, we all really felt that way. And, you know, we, a pattern string, we have, we have a pro staff, um, and a couple of, uh, a couple of the pro staffers, our guides, you know, they're waterfowl guides, And, uh, yeah, they were all everybody. And we have, you know, we're right here on the I-35 and so I I also have a restaurant and we get a lot of, of guys that you'll see on Carbon TV or on, you know, the Sportsman and their outdoor channel, they'll stop through and eat. And it's become, we've been open for like going on for 13 years now and they'll stop in and eat. And so we've become, you know, friends, if you will, Um, acquaintances, I guess would be more of it. But so they stop in and they eat, you know, from time to time and, and, uh, the, the, the common, the commonality in the talk was that, that this was an off year. So if huh. you make it back again,
0: um, <laughs> Well, the, if, the, if I come to Kansas, I'm going to be chasing white-tailed deer. You have know, some of the biggest and most amazing white-tailed deer on the planet.
1: I've yes. hunted
0: out in Stafford with Jesse and Ginger okay. and with yeah. Tom McMillan, you know, yeah. Tom's oh, yeah, wildlife yeah. was, was mm-hmm. a show uh, for a while. And I did an episode of the show with Tom. I met, Tom, through because of Jesse and Ginger, they lived in Stafford as well, but uh, I've hunted white-tailed deer there. I've got a very, very nice white-tailed deer mount in, in the lodge here at, uh, in Arizona. So, yeah, Iowa, uh, Ohio, Kansas, I mean, the white-tailed deer in, in those three states alone are, I think, some of the biggest that we have in our country.
1: Yeah. We're very, very blessed and very lucky around this area. Well, and and for most part in the whole state, um, we have some really, really big deer and it's kind of funny, especially for people that have never hunted anywhere else, whitetail anywhere else. They don't realize how lucky we are. I was watching a little, I don't know what it was, a TikTok or a reel here a little bit ago and it popped up and it had some guys that seemed like they knew what they were talking about. I don't know whether there was any validity to it at all, but they made the comment that, Less than ten percent of America of of hunters in America, white tail hunters in America, will ever shoot a one twenty five class deer. And I thought, man, that's that's a pretty. I would have I would have thought that would have been a lot higher than that. You know, thirty percent or something. That's small
0: for a Kansas buck for sure.
1: Yeah, but around here, you know, if you, I always I always say around here, if you don't shoot a one sixty five class deer, I mean, it's not that it's not a trophy or whatever. Just it's just not really something to brag about. Um, until it gets over 165, you know, 170, 180, 180 guys will start getting interested around, you know, and they want to start, you know, <laughs> everybody wants to kind of start seeing it. But, and 200 is what really a 200 inch deer is what really gets people talking around here. And when you're talking, you know, here we are sitting here talking about that. And one of our pro staff guys, um, we've had him on the podcast before. Um, he's actually shot last year. He shot his second 200 inch deer. So he shot two. He these are both his deer right here. Um, wow. And he shot, uh, Kevin Buskey, he shot his second 200 inch deer. Um, and they both came from Kansas. Um, I believe they both came I know, the, I know the one he just shot came from Kansas, but, um, if it didn't, if it, if his first one didn't, it was just right across the border in Oklahoma, but it was on a previous podcast, but we, we have some big deer around here and yep. uh, it, we're just really blessed and we're lucky. Um, you know, and that's another thing we always kind of joke around about, you know, especially with the guys that are like in Ohio, not Ohio, but in uh, Michigan or up in the, you know, Vermont up in the, you know, the Northern, Northeastern part, and they'll go out hunting and they, they're like, well, we didn't see a deer the f- for, you know, for the four times we went out this week, we didn't see a deer. And I don't think, I mean, it's very, very uncommon for us to go out and not see a deer. Um, I mean, we just, we have really lucky around here. So, Um, We definitely have some big, big deer uh, here in Kansas. It's, it's, it's a blast. And, you know, that's the thing too, is, is that it's not just the hunting, you know, the, 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 during the season, it's an all year deal where, I mean, we're, we're already, we've already got trail cameras out. We've been putting out, you know, mineral and feed. Um, Cause they're, you know, they're in velvet right now and that's the most yep. important time to, you know, to, to supplement them. Um, and then, you know, once we get here, you know, through summer, they got to, you know, we have to make sure that they have, you know, water's good. And so it's, you know, we got we got food plots and right now we're talking about with um, some of our, some of our properties, putting out some fruit trees um, to help, you know, give them a, a smorgasbord. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a lot of work, but that's the fun part about it is that's to me, that's yeah. the... That's just as fun as the time when you harvest the animal you know is all of it that leads up
0: to that I think at the end of the day it's about being out it's about being out in the wilderness, whether you're you're getting your hands dirty, putting out food plots and, and setting up tree stands or or just being out you know hoping to get a to get, get a shot to, you know to, to see an animal and, and get yeah. one that, that you want to shoot so I mean at the end of the day it's about being in touch with nature and being out there and being connected. Earth vibrates at seven point eight three. The closer you can get out there, get barefoot, get connected to the earth, the better you're gonna feel.
1: I one hundred percent agree with you. Grounded. Ground yourself and yep. And get in that dirt and, and it just it, it helps to to equalize everything and get things back on track. I one hundred percent agree with you. And it's easy to get caught up in our day to day life of you know, the hustle and the bustle and you know, of business and all of that stuff that Sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, wait a minute here. Let's pause for a second and go out and, and get, get, get right with mother nature.
0: That's that's, absolutely one of the, uh, one of the few positive things that, that came out of that relationship with, with my dad was that love for the outdoors. And that rolled right into that Boy Scout troop. You know, all my neighbors, my friends from school, their dads were, were our scout masters and, we had a pretty amazing group of guys and we did a lot of really cool stuff as kids that all revolved around that outdoors. And, and that, that's part of my journey and part of my life to this day is, it's why I love being here in Arizona at this ranch in the middle of nowhere, sitting between the Kaibab and the Coconino national forest, looking at at Ponderosa pines. It's, it's unbelievable.
1: That's the, um, the, the Kaibab. There's another, um, uh, hunt of a lifetime if you will that the kaibab man i uh had been putting when i lived in arizona i'd been putting in for that and i'm just starting back now to try and start accumulating points again in arizona and one of these days my hope is that while i'm still um able to and yeah. to, to come out there and maybe have a Doing shot a at something yeah it's, it's my uh,
0: backyard right here
1: i know huh yeah if <laughs> they don't too bad they don't sell landowner tags there huh
0: I <laughs> know they don't. <laughs> yeah. I haven't quite figured yeah. out the draw yet. I've only been here a couple of years and I haven't, I haven't really figured out the draw and, and what to put in for and start accumulating some points here. But thankfully the yeah. only over the counter tag is still the, uh, the archery tag for deer. So right. that's the only yeah. one I've, I've really gotten so far. Chasing yeah. mule deer around out here.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a huge state. People don't realize how big Arizona is and, it's a extremely diverse. I mean, it changes, you know, most people when they think Arizona, they immediately think desert, um, cactuses and they don't realize that there's a ton of mountains. There's a ton of pines. There's a ton of wildlife. Some of the biggest bulls, some of the biggest mule deer. I mean, you know, yeah, cows, deer. I mean, it's just a diverse,
0: huge state. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It definitely, uh, you would not think sitting up here while we're sitting on this front porch right now that we were in Arizona. You'd think of sweating your butt off in in Phoenix or Tucson yeah. uh, and not sitting at 7,000 feet, enjoying the fresh air and the quiet. Not yeah. so quiet here today. They're putting on a new roof on this place. and
1: Oh, so, so that's what all the is. noise you've been is. hearing in the background. Yeah, it, that's all right. We like to keep the, you know, the Powder and String podcast as raw and and uncut it's it's you know we're just bringing real true what it is raw footage to him so you know for our listeners out there it doesn't get any more raw than that randy's sitting on his on his porch in arizona and they're working on it and that's what you hear the banging and clanging is yeah it's i had an old uh
0: a 40 year old single cedar shingle roof on this log home and just felt like it was a not only a fire hazard you know we i think three three summers ago we had one of the forest fires about seven miles from this place we were we were on the ready status had the trailer hooked up and ready to go all i had to do was load the horses in it to get out of here and thankfully it never came to that but uh i definitely thought it was time to get rid of the old cedar shingle roof and put a metal roof on and install a rain catch so i can take advantage of the monsoons we get here in the august and september months and and catch that rain for for taking care of this place. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I know just from, again, from experience and my time out in Arizona, once you put that metal roof on there, you're going to save some money on your insurance because it's, it's no longer a a fire um, as big of a fire hazard, but yeah. yeah, Forest fires out there are a really big deal. You're um, you kind of hit on it earlier. I think it was before we got going here on the podcast, but the Arizona has the largest ponderosa pine forest um, in, it's in the United States, isn't it? Or is in the world? Yeah. In
0: the United States is what I'm told. Yeah.
1: yeah it's, it's a diverse, that's one of the things that I do uh, miss about Arizona was you never had to pay attention to the weather because it was pretty much the same every day. And there wasn't a whole lot of wind. And if you were down, we lived down in the Valley, so we were down in Phoenix, but if you didn't like the mm-hmm. weather, um, you, you were 45 minutes, you could be up into, you know, into the mountains with pine trees. Yeah. Um, you could, you know, short you know, five, six, eight hour drive, depending on the, on the, on the, uh, traffic, you could be, you know, over into the ocean, you know, out in LA or San Diego yeah. and, or down in the Baja. Um, so just all kinds of stuff, you know, it's close to, to Vegas. It's just, it's a great place to, to, to be. I, I do, I do miss parts of it for sure.
0: Now I can see ski bowl from, from my front porch here. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, the, the San Francisco peaks are right here, literally a across the prairie in my front yard and it's it's a pretty amazing pretty diverse area you literally have the javelina come right up on the on the back porch and drink out of my water feature um the deer and the elk uh, a bunch of coyotes that will create you know my 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 healer goes nuts when the coyotes start coming around he runs yeah. them all off but.
1: Yep, so you're right out there you're out in the middle of it out, yeah yeah enjoying it that's awesome exactly. So with regards to, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your early, your early years, you got into the military, um, wrestling, MMA after MMA, you got into, um, acting now you're, you're doing some acting and what's, what's that like for you today?
0: It's interesting. You know, I spent my whole life as an athlete kind of boxing up my emotions and putting them to the side and staying laser focused on what I trained to do and going out and competing and now they want you in front of the camera to let all that stuff out it's like i don't know that's a little weird um, but it's a process and it's it's not an easy process it's a, it's a grind it's a lot of work and i was fortunate enough through athletics to have that door open and and now get the chance to take advantage of that of that opportunity and pursue that full time uh just finished expendables four expendables four will be coming out uh, in September on September 22nd that one's going to hit the theaters uh, you'll find me here in May on a couple of episodes in fact the last two episodes of NCIS LA the LA version of that, of that series is coming to an end and I got to do the final two episodes for the for the uh, season and the series so that was a lot of fun um, first time I'd been to LA in quite a while but uh, you know we, we survived yeah. and how was that? It's all good. It's, no it's comment. a bit of a mess, frankly. Uh, I, I kind of feel like the whole West Coast is in, in a bit of a state of chaos uh, f- for a lot of different reasons that we don't really need to get into. But
1: uh, No, no. We, we'll just leave that one alone. But, <laughs> yeah. So I, you're obviously a smart guy. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit. Um is part of the draw to the acting is, is the challenge of it is cause it's completely different than everything else that you've done, but yet there's still elements that what you have, you know, used in your last with your athleticism and stuff. Is that, yeah. the, is that yeah. well, for I think you?
0: There's a lot of things that cross over from athletics, being you know, being diligent and prepared. Some of that's the army and that army mentality. Some of that's athletics for sure. Um, I don't, you know, I think I see a lot of these folks that don't have that same worth work ethic. They don't bring that to, to the game. And then you look at a guy like Stallone, uh, you know, or, or Schwarzenegger, you know, that have treated this as a profession. They weren't all that caught up in the celebrity nonsense of it. Uh, and that's allowed them, I think, the longevity that they've had because they take it very seriously. You compare that to other guys I work with, like Mickey Rourke or Jean-Claude Van Damme, who've had tremendous peaks and tremendous valleys in their, in their yeah. acting career. And I think that's a tribute to their approach and, and maybe not not treating it as much as like a profession and, and more caught up in a little bit of that celebrity lifestyle than than some of those other guys. But uh, you know, I think, like anything else, you want to be good at something? Find out what the best guys are doing. Stand around them. Watch what they do. Watch how they, how they treat it and, and how they approach it. And, and then emulate that. Uh, those guys have certainly had tons of success and there's a reason for that. It's no different than wanting to be the best wrestler in the world. So you better go find out what Jordan Burroughs is doing, what Kyle Snyder is doing, what so many of these stud athletes are doing now. And that certainly was my mentality when I was competing in wrestling. You know, Kenny Monday was one of my mentors at Oklahoma State. You want to be the best at something? Look at what the best guys are doing and emulate that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things I've always said in business is is that There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. I mean, you can, you can change it a little bit, but if, if it's working for somebody else, that doesn't mean you got to go and do just the opposite. There's probably some, some reason for that. Um, but it's not just going to be, you're not going to be able to just replicate that. You're going to have to, you know, add your spin to it and put in the effort. And the effort is the, is the one thing, um, that's I think paramount, um, I had a guy that in business tell me he, and he was very successful. And he said one time, he said, you know, I used to think that it was, you were able to work smart, not hard. And he's like, yeah. no, you absolutely have to work smart and work hard. Um, I agree. It doesn't, just, that work it doesn't ethic, just come.
0: <clears throat> that work ethic is very important. It's something that I learned from my mom as a single parent, you know, raising three of us, there was a chore list, you know, she had to go to work her two jobs. And I was the oldest, so there was a chore list every you know, every weekend. And those chores better be done by the time mom gets home from work or there's gonna be hell to pay. And and I think that was again replicated in the army, certainly on the wrestling mat through Coach Case Bear in junior high and, and Coach McAboy in high school and then Coach Winter uh, in the Army. You know, those coaches were very important figures for me. I didn't have that father figure. Uh, so those guys filled that void and they're the ones that kicked me in the ass when I needed a good kick in the ass. And yeah. they're also the ones that threw the arm around me and gave me, you know, a new or two to, you know, say hey, it's gonna be all right. Don't worry about it. So
1: Yeah, and you know something I always find interesting and I've I've told people, you know, especially young people, is how important I think, um, you know, even though I had very little success in the wrestling world, but that sport is with regards to teaching a man about, or, you know, especially now with women's wrestling becoming as as popular as is a woman with regards to that's the closest sport there is to life because at the end of the day, at the end of that match, when you're done, whether your arms raised or whether the other other person's arms raised, you can't look to your left and go, you missed a, you know, you missed that layup or you can't look to your right and say, you know, if you would have you know, struck that dude out, yeah. you're looking at yourself and you're going, all right, it's my fault I lost. I have nobody else to blame. And yeah. The,
0: the individual combative sport is is very unique that way. Um, you, know, you walk out in the center of that or those four steps up into that cage all by yourself. Now, you're only as good as the guys you train with, the guys you're rubbing elbows with on a daily basis. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. At the end of the day, it's you walking out of that tunnel and up into that cage or out into that mat by yourself, and you never feel more alive or more vulnerable at the same time. It's a a unique experience, and that is absolutely what life is like. You're going to go out into life, and you're going to get knocked on your ass. You're going to win some, and you're going to lose some. So you better know how to do both of those things. You better know how to win with character and grace, and you better be able to lose with the same thing, with character and grace. And that's what I think the the sport of wrestling certainly uh, prepared me for the ups and downs of life and the sport of mixed martial arts, which is a volatile sport, you know, just like wrestling. You're literally one decision, one small choice in a match away from being very happy and getting your hand raised or or very pissed off and commiserating a a loss. So, and that's life in, in a nutshell, for sure. So. I think it's yeah. very important to develop that character, that resilience that comes from putting yourself in those situations when your life isn't on the line. And, and you know, sometimes down the road, when, when you're really trying to fight for your family and, and build a business or build something you, and you get knocked down, you're going to need those skills, that mindset to pick yourself back up and go back out there and figure out what you did wrong and figure out how to do it better. Everybody talks about six world championships. So that means I lost it at least five times. And the truth is, I lost it all six. It's not about winning all yeah. the time, it's about how you deal with the adversity of losing. My fight record is 19 and 11. So I've certainly tasted my share. Lost in the NCAA finals twice. You know, lost in the Olympic trials four times for 16 years, four times trying to make that Olympic team. It never happened. But imagine if I'd have sacked it up and quit after that last Olympic trials. I would have never forayed into MMA and and I would have never won those those six championships. So everything happens for a reason. You just gotta stay true to yourself and keep pursuing what you have and and what your passion is with everything that you have.
1: Yeah. If you're gonna do something, do it. You know, your time you don't you don't get that time back. We're never gonna get this this moment back. So you can either you know half-ass it, or you can you know put your full effort into it and see what happens. And if you're not going to put your full effort into it, then what we, I mean, why are we? What are we doing here? But I that's guess kind of that's the beauty of
0: the sport of wrestling, and the sport of mixed martial arts. If you're half-assing it and you're still willing to walk out in the center of that mat and expose yourself that way, boy, more power to you. Yeah, somebody's going to point out those glaring weaknesses, and it's probably not going to be fun.
1: Yeah. It'll be, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be pain- yeah, humbling <laughs> and painful in multiple ways. Yeah. 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 And maybe that's how I ended up, um, sitting here on a podcast with, um, with you, um, you know, three, well, about four and a half, five years ago, I came home to my wife and I have, a, I have some other businesses and I told my wife, I said, Hey, I'm going to start up a, um, I'm going to get my home-based FFL because there's a few guns that I want to get and I'll just do transfers and stuff. And she said, don't you dare. Ever come home with some idea that you're going to want to open up a a, a gun shop? I said, "Hun, I promise I don't want to. No way." <laughs> well, fast forward to 2020 and everything that went with that year. Yep. we had um, we had a couple of buildings in, in down this downtown Wellington here, and my wife comes home and it's right after Christmas, and she says, "Hey, what do you think about taking that old um, building that we we got that is a, a eye doctor's place and turn it into a gun shop?" And I thought this was like, is this like candid camera? Is this a trick (laughs) or what? So we talked about it and, uh, we, you know, at that point you couldn't get a gun nowhere. And so anyway, we drive around to some gun shops and my wife's in, you know, she's into guns and stuff, but she's not a, you know, she's definitely not a, you know, a a gun freak, if you will. Um, and so we get done that day and she says, man, you got more stuff in the basement than what a lot of those gun shops did. And, and in their, in their defense, you know, you couldn't get anything. Well, I told her, I said, all right, well, let's do this. We'll open it up and I'll just be down there by myself three days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and that's it just by myself. I'll just have a few guns in there. And here we are. I don't know how to do something half-assed. And all my buddies were all like, you know, eight months into it, six months into it, a you into it. They're all like, we already knew when you started this, it wasn't going to be just, you know, just you're going to have be there three days a week and, you know, now we have guys that'll come into the shop on a regular basis. And I mean, almost daily. And they're like, you got more stuff than Cabela's like, all right, well, (laughs) cool. And they drive two, three, four hours to come into the shop and do business with us. And we greatly appreciate that. But I don't know. I've just always been the type I'm like, if we're going to go hard, I mean, we're going to do it. Let's go hard. Let's do it. And, um, even though I had very little success in wrestling, I think a lot of it came from that and drawing from that, um, you know, that, that part of my life or that time of my life. And, and I, I, absolutely feel that way about something if you're going to do it do it right for sure yeah you you kind of hit there and and i i have to ask just because uh, as i would kind of told you before i'm obviously a big fan of your mma can you is there a way to put into words what it's like walking into that octagon and when your music's playing and you're
0: yeah there you're never more alive in that moment i can feel every single hair on my body when I'm getting ready to walk out that tunnel and that song comes on that I picked, you get this tunnel vision. It's like strapping seashells over your head. You can hear the dull roar and the rise and fall of the crowd, but you don't really hear any of it. Uh, what's amazing is that in that environment, you can still hear your coach. Sometimes I'll still hear, still hear my mom. Yeah, so yell. Those are those things that just stick you out can, in that crowd. That you're so you so can hear that hearing. that
1: pitch of voice. You're you're yeah, because you're because you you're infinitely yeah, uh,
0: and that's again through through you know a lot of repetition. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying my mom yelled at me a lot, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> she may or may not have.
0: Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, but definitely you hear your coaches. You know, even over the the roar of that crowd, you still hear that, and you still you know, insanely focused on what it is you set out to do there. It's a very unique, the adrenaline rush is a real thing. And, you know, I, I deal with a lot of soldiers and that's the one thing they miss about the combat zone, about the battlefield is there's adrenaline involved in that. It's light, literally life or death in, the, in that circumstance. And mm-hmm. that's a difficult thing to replace. You know, when you walk away from your, your athlete, you know, I walked away from that those shorts after 14 years of experiencing that adrenaline uh, and, and that's a difficult thing to replace and transition for pro athletes is a, a big challenge, just like it is for our soldiers to walk away from their uniforms. That's a yeah. huge part of their identity. So finding that new purpose and finding the, those healthy ways to fill that void. Um, yeah. you know, I was pretty fortunate in that I'd already had the businesses and the acting and that stuff built into my transition. So I knew where I was going. You know, when I left the Army, I knew exactly where I was going. I was driving a couple states over to Stillwater, Oklahoma to, to get my degree and be a national champion. And when I left fighting, I had acting. I had the businesses and the clothing company and all that other stuff so that I could focus that energy on and that competitiveness on. You know, acting is a competitive thing. There's there's hundreds of guys that are all trying out for that same role. You know, that, that's competitive. So you got to bring your A game. you got to bring a unique perspective and, thump, and something that you think that they want for that character if you if you think you're going to get that job and you know that allowed my transitions to be pretty smooth i didn't it wasn't full of you know pain agony and and wondering who the hell i am now i knew exactly where i wanted to be
1: yeah so so there's not the uh just because you're you know randy couture and you've got all the successes you've had before you're not just a shoe-in for those parts you've actually got to earn your you're in your spot there and and do your research, put the legwork in and, and, and actually, you know,
0: earn it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's going to give you anything. I don't care how many MMA championships you won. (laughs) They're not going to give you that acting role just because you better, you better bring something to the table.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think, you may have already answered the question, but is you is there anything in life that you've found in, in the outside of the ring that's as closest to the ring, to that feeling that you talked about with your oh, and, uh I mean I would ask You know, the one
0: thing I didn't do when I was in the military was go to jump school. And yeah. I went to air assault school. I rappelled out of helicopters, but I never jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. And I put in for school twice and it conflicted with all army wrestling both times. So I wasn't going to miss wrestling season to go jump out of an airplane. But it's something that I've done now since I've gotten out of the service uh, just a few years ago. I, I was going to do all six jumps. And then after the first two jumps, uh, you know, and, and crashing and burning pretty hard on the second one, I'm like, do I really need a new hobby? Yeah, I can check it out. You know, I can check the box. I did it. I, I know I I've can do it. i but- yeah. I decided I didn't want to go and get all six and get certified and start jumping on a regular basis. It just wasn't worth it. It was. It, it seemed like a function of if, not when. So you were <laughs> you gonna were smart happen enough. At some point. So
1: yeah, you you were smart enough to understand that there could there was a there was a t- there was a likelihood or there was a chance an outside chance there could become an addiction. And and the, yeah. w- without getting the six jumps, you're like, all right, if I don't get the six jumps, then I can't do it on my own. I got to have somebody there. So. It becomes a little bit, yeah. but if it's unfettered, who knows but that,
0: that adrenaline rush of flying up in a plane to about 16 to you know 13 to 16,000 feet. And, you know, jumping out the door of that plane, that's about as close as it's come to that adrenaline rush of walking out of that tunnel and, and walking those four steps up into that cage.
1: Yeah. So have you, have you harvested an elk with a bow yet?
0: I have. Yeah. And, and that, that's one of the few times I got that sewing machine leg going too, Okay, when, when that bull's walking out in front of you. <laughs> is that
1: what you call it, the sewing machine leg?
0: Yeah, the, the leg won't stop shaking. I know, and... what
1: you, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're like, hell am I, I having don't... a seizure here? What's going yeah. on?
1: I'm sure it, in order to get your, sewing, your leg to be, turn into a sewing machine and get mine is going to be two totally different things. But I know what you're talking about for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that was why I asked that is because... I've not, I have not harvested one, but I have been around one, you know, at elk before bugling when I lived in Arizona that were, you know, 80 yards, you know, inside of a hundred yards for sure. And yeah. man, that is just, wow. I mean, it's, it, it, you gotta go do it. Like, it's like crack, yeah. I think. I mean, I've never done crack, but elk I only and turkey, imagine. man.
0: That that's why I love those two. They're they're, you know, turkey, because you're literally communicating with these animals and and they're responding. It's it's incredible. And then to have them, when I say responding, that means they're coming towards you. They think you're yeah. one of them. Interacting. They want to check you out. Uh yeah. Which, you know, talking about a twelve hundred pound bull elk with giant antlers, that could be a real problem. Yeah. If you're not careful. So I
1: 100% agree with you on that because not, like I said, I haven't hunted elk, um, but turkey, I feel the same way. Um, I actually hunted turkey later. I grew up hunting, you know, from like 12 years old, um, or younger even, but I didn't hunt turkey until probably I was, you know, 22. So I'd been hunting mm. for 10 years, but you know, deer hunting, uh, upland game, waterfowl, all that. And I definitely enjoyed the waterfowl became my favorite um. Well, elk, or deer hunting, whitetail. Period. And then, mm-hmm. and then waterfowl. But the reason why I liked waterfowl so well was because you're interacting. So you yeah. start with you know the the geese or the or the ducks are off, and then you start calling them, they come in. But man. I was introduced to to Turkey. I was like, what the hell, where have I been all my life? You know, here's this Turkey that <laughs> you put to bed the night before. And then all of a sudden you hear him come down and you start calling and he comes in and he's just wired for sound and his head's changing yep. and there's dirt going everywhere. And he's, you know, he's pissed and you know, you're, you're interacting back and forth and he's just thundering. And I mean, man, that was like, holy cow. And then yeah. probably, you know, seven, eight years later is when I had that interaction with an elk, you know, my, my interaction with elk and, I was like, wow, that's, that's turkey and and then some, you know, but yeah. I 100% agree with you with that is that's, to me, that's the funnest part of, that's the funnest hunt for me are those two. I've never, yeah. I've never elk hunted, but now, i had that interaction.
0: I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We have mule deer and blacktail. Mm-hmm. I never heard anybody snort wheeze or rattle horns till I was in Kansas in Stafford okay. with McMillan and, and Jesse and Ginger. Really? And so, I mean, whitetail deer. There's, there's some of that. It's not maybe quite as interactive as a turkey or a bull elk, but you're still when they're in the rut in November, man. You're still communicating. You're still drawing them in, rattling Mm -hmm. those horns or snort wheezing, and yeah, for sure. And and that's a very unique thing.
1: Yeah. So, so that was where I was going with that question was: is there any correlation to? I mean. Th- that feeling of, of of a elk bugling at really close range, and you know, in that octagon.
0: Yeah, it's very very similar. To the adrenaline rush, you know, obviously a little bit different rules of engagement. But, right. Uh, <laughs> but as far yeah. as the the heart and the nerves, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's a different. It's it's a totally. What is it? It's they're both exactly the same, but totally different.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting
1: it. Yeah, you know when you walk into the, I'm, I'm assuming you walk into the MMA, it's like you're the ring. You're like, well, I know this is, I, I'm, I'm, you're going in that you're going to win, but you're like this, you know, I'm, I'm going to have some hands on me, and it's not going to be easy. You're going into battle, um, whereas yeah, nothing yeah, I think that's it.
0: one of the things we have to do. We have to make friends with with the possibility that you're not going to be successful in that outing, and you have to realize that that's the way it is. That's the way life is. And guess what? The people that really matter, the people that really care about you, they're not going anywhere. They don't care whether you won or lost a fight. Fans are very fickle. You're only as good as your last victory. But the people that yeah. really count in your life are not going anywhere. They're happy that you went out there and pursued your passion with everything that you had, whether you won or lost. And and those are the people you want to keep around. And you have to let the rest of them go. The fickle ones, the ones that are judgmental and, and all that other stuff, that's... That's fandom. And that's not real.
1: Man, uh, and I,
0: I think that's a lot of guys fail to recognize the difference between the two. And, uh, that can cause you a lot of problems,
1: man. I think that's a great piece of advice and that's, I, I don't know that I think I've thought about it like that, but man, that, that really hit me. Um, you know, for sure. Cause that's, you know, the ones that, the ones that are going to, you know, don't, that, they're only there if you're winning if you're, if you're on the upside, yep. those aren't true fans. It's the ones when you're in the bottom that, that are there to pick you up. That's the ones that are, that are, that are really truly your friends. The ones that that matter. That's, that's That's when you really
0: know who's in the circle with you.
1: Yeah. I had a buddy that, um, one of my best friends, it was a college buddy of mine and, uh, he, he put it like, um, his way of putting it was like this. If I had to go to war, would I want him in the hole with me? If I had to be in a, you know, in a a foxhole, would I want him with me? Mm -hmm. So I kind of a similar thing. He's like, I, you know, I absolutely trust that guy. I know he's got my back. I know that he'd, you know, go down, you know, in order to protect me and save me or my family. And you know, that's that's kind of the same thing. So yeah, no, that's yep. I, I really like that. Absolutely. So well man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you on here. It's been absolutely a pleasure pleasure. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to sit here and talk about uh, you know, your life and hunting and uh, you know, all things outdoors and your experiences and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, uh you well, being thanks, on here,
0: I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so for um all of our fans out there and listeners, um if you haven't already done so, we, we urge you to go and subscribe and like and share and do all that stuff. Um, as most of you know, already we're on all the social media pages, Facebook, we're on YouTube, uh, Instagram, all that different stuff. And Randy, do you have anything out there um, with regards to your, your um, veteran stuff that you want to uh, have, the listeners listen, go go to and like.
0: Yeah, you can find us at ExtremeCoutureGIFoundation.org. That's XCGIF.org. They'll give you the schedule of the rides. We've got four big rides coming up in, in the next five or six months. Uh, any of the other events that are coming along. If you are a veteran um, and, and you want to get connected to the veteran community, check out VetsAndPlayers.org. That's MVP. We're in nine cities across the country right now. We're continuing to expand. Just opened in Phoenix. We're in Dallas. We're in Seattle. <clears throat> Obviously, Nevada, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Chicago. Um, we're, we're continuing to expand in major cities ac- across the country. But you can find us at betsandplayers.org. We have hybrid meetings. So if you can't make it to one of those gyms to show up in person, you can get on a Zoom Join us for the workout and join us for the huddle after the workout. That's where the real magic is. Uh, Give these guys a safe place. There's no civilians, nobody else in there. It's only retired athletes and retired soldiers. And, uh, And we get our workout in and then we sit on the mat in what we call a huddle and we talk about what's going on, what's positive that's going on, what's negative that's going on, and give those guys a safe place to let those demons out. And it's been pretty remarkable. So... If you're one of those guys that's that's retired from your sport or or retired from the military and, and you're not really sure where you're going or what's what's going on in your life, check in to MVP VetsAndPlayers dot org. We'll give you an outlet. I guarantee you, somebody else in the circle's been in that spot you're in right now.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's that's um, I'm lucky enough to have several vets um, that are on my staff. You know uh, and. You know, I've had a couple of them tell me, you know, if you're if you were a good soldier, you're not a good civilian. And, you know, that's that's uh, or I'm not going to say you're not, but, you know, it's tough. It's definitely tough. Um, And that transition is is extremely difficult. And so anything that we can do to, you know, to help support our veterans, we need to do it because uh, this this the, the lottery ticket that we all were lucky enough to have punched when we were born in the United States of America it's not free and it's paid for by the veterans out there. And, um, we are just so dang lucky to be born in the United States and, and have the opportunities and the stuff that we have available to us at our fingertips, because there's such a small percentage of the population of this planet that, that have that. So for yep. guys like you, man, I appreciate it. And so wow. thanks. Man, man. thank you. So, yep. Thank you so much, Randy. I'll let you get off here. And again, we greatly appreciate it. Thanks for well all up. of our listeners.
0: Yep, have a great powders. day.
1: U-Too Powder and String Outfitters where your hometown shop.